Good morning. Hope you've had a great weekend so far. Appreciate you starting a new week with us here at Great Oaks as we try to serve God and worship Him and hopefully shine His light everywhere we go this week. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being here. Uh, we are genuinely trying to follow Jesus Christ here at Great Oaks. We believe He is the Son of God. We believe He is the hope of the world. And we try to encourage everyone we know to follow Jesus Christ. And so we would love for you to join us in that if you're not a Christian. If you're looking for a church home, we hope you'd find this to be a place where faith is genuinely encouraged and lived out. Uh, so if we can help you in any way, please, please let us know. We're really glad you're here to start a week in worship with us. Last week, we introduced our theme for this year. We take it from Psalm 145, verse 4, here in 2021. We're here in the middle of this classic psalm of praise. David says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation shall praise your works to another. And so our theme this year is generation to generation. And last week we introduced that with a few simple thoughts, and we also pointed out one element of this theme, which is that we're coming out of, hopefully this year, we'll be coming out of a generational event, and talked about the different ways we hope that will shape us. We get to choose those things in a lot of ways. You get to choose how you react to the events that happen in your life. And I hope we are allowing the generational event we're going through to shape us into stronger people of faith rather than let us drift away from God. What I want us to do today and the next couple weeks is put together some other pieces of this theme that I hope will be guiding us all year long and I hope will provide some good things both in our lives and in our ministries here at Great Oaks. And so today we're going to talk about an important biblical description pops up several times. If you got the outline, you can see I've got several verses there at the top to point out where this description comes up in the Bible. And then we're going to ask for the last part of our lesson, how is that going to be made true? So a description at the beginning, and then how was God going to make that description actually work? And that's going to be our lesson today, and I hope it'll be one uh, that encourages us. So let's start with Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. I got four verses there on the top, four places where this description comes out. Here in Daniel chapter 2, you might remember Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world. He's king of Babylon. He's had a dream and it has shaken him. And so he needs God's help. He tries to ask his prophets to help. They can't do it because he doesn't even tell them the dream. This is going to have to actually come from God to both tell him the dream and what it means. And so Daniel, who is a man of God, a prophet of God, God gives him the interpretation. So he comes to Nebuchadnezzar and says, Your dream was about a statue. And there was the head of gold on the statue. And then the, the, below that was a silver section on the statue. And then the middle and the thighs were bronze. And then the lower part was iron with some clay mixed in at the feet. And as you were looking at that statue in your dream, king, there came this stone. And the stone was cut, but not cut by the hands of men. And it came and it hit that statue on the feet, and the whole statue just crumbled and fell apart. And then that stone grew into a mountain. And that mountain got so big it covered the whole earth. Nebuchadnezzar's eyes, I imagine, must have gotten pretty big. This guy really told me what the dream was. I haven't told anybody. Then Daniel went further. Here's what God says the dream means. He says, you, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. You're that first kingdom of Babylon. After you is going to come a second kingdom, the silver part. That's going to be the kingdom of the Medes and Persians, we would find out as history goes on. So there will be a third kingdom after that that will cover the whole earth. 
History would find out that would be Greece and Alexander the Great who would conquer so much of the world. He said then there would be a kingdom, a fourth kingdom after that. We'd find out that would be the Roman Empire. He says in the time of that fourth kingdom, there's going to come a kingdom not made with human hands. And it's going to cover the whole earth with the greatness of God. And notice, notice the description of that kingdom, God's kingdom, that would come in the time of the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. He says, in the days of those kings, about the kings of that fourth kingdom, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms but it will itself endure forever. Because all these other powerful, great kingdoms, they're going to pass on. But there's going to be this one of God. It's never going to disappear. It will never be destroyed. Second passage, Daniel chapter 7. Philip read this just a second ago. Another prophecy from Daniel and another, another time in the book where he's looking forward at how God would would guide these other kingdoms to come, but then God's kingdom would come in a special way. And here in verse 13, he says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. You might recognize that description, son of man. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah, and that's the term Jesus used about himself more than any other term. Son of man. It had that combination of being human but also being the Messiah in passages like this. It says, One like a son of man was coming. So Daniel sees this vision, and he came up to the ancient of days. What a great description of God. Came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. Notice the description here. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Daniel says, when God's kingdom comes, we would see it come in Jesus Christ. It will never pass away like all these other kingdoms of the world. Third passage, Luke chapter 1. Here the angel Gabriel, who always appears as a messenger angel in the Bible, He comes to Mary to let Mary know that she is going to have a son and this is going to be special in so many ways. One of the ways that this son would be special, he says in verse 32, he will be great. And there's so many things I love about that little phrase. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, how long? Forever. And his kingdom will have no end. There will be no end. When he sets up his kingdom, it will never end. And then one more, Matthew chapter 16, from the words of Jesus himself. So we saw Daniel predict it, that this kingdom is going to come, it will never pass away. Predicted at least twice. We saw Gabriel say it to Mary, he's going to set up a kingdom that will never end. And here in Matthew 16, Jesus is talking about the church. And if you study that in the Bible, the kingdom, that promised kingdom, was not a kingdom with earthly land or earthly laws or earthly weapons or anything like that. As Jesus called it in John 18 when he was on trial, he said, My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's not of this world. Romans, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 1. John the Apostle would look back and said, He has made us to be a kingdom, talking to Christians. The kingdom that was promised 
was the church. And here Jesus again, He's talking about the church. He says, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. That's the kingdom that was promised. He says, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Hades is different from the word hell in the Bible, if you haven't studied that before. Hades means the place of the dead. So even death itself will not stop my kingdom, Jesus says. And that would happen in Him as He would raise from the dead. And it will happen with all His followers that when Jesus comes back, we will all be raised up with Him. I just want us to notice the description. Over and over, this kingdom, which we now know to be the church, will never end. This everlasting kingdom would go from generation to generation to generation until Jesus Christ comes back. How would that actually happen? How could could anyone say with confidence that anything is going to be here forever? No matter what you and I do in life, whatever books we write, whatever, whatever things we make, Whatever we build, whatever we work on, if the world spins long enough, God lets the earth keep going, chances are it's all going to pass away. Someone else is going to step into the places we've lived and and the jobs we've had and the things we've made will get thrown away and and will decay like everything else. And we see that, that it's the reality of life, that time keeps moving and things don't last. Kingdoms don't last. Those mighty kingdoms that Daniel saw and and told Nebuchadnezzar about, they all passed away. No one would have looked up in the time of Alexander the Great for for many years and would have ever thought there could be a day that Alexander the Great's kingdom would not be powerful. No one would have looked at the Roman Empire for many, many years and thought there would ever come a day where the Roman Empire wouldn't be here. We might think the same about our nation today. And who knows how long God will let the world keep going. But if He lets it keep going, chances are, history tells us, it's going to change or things are going to be different. Earthly kingdoms don't last. How can anyone say with any sort of confidence, this institution, the church, will never pass away? It's always going to be there. I want us to explore that idea these last few minutes then. And I've got four things there on the outline. You might be able to add many more. But I've got four things that God has done to help perpetuate His kingdom so that He knew it would last from generation to generation forever. The first one, each generation that would come would have the Word of God with them. They would have God's Word. God would make sure, God would guide the process where His all-powerful Word that has always changed lives and has always changed us, it would always be there for everyone who would come along. Jesus promised that in Matthew 24, 35. Here he was looking forward to talking about the, the destruction of Jerusalem and even the end of time. And he says in verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. One of several promises in the Bible that the word of God would always be with this earth. So God would guide that. He would inspire His apostles to speak the words that that God wanted us to know and to write them down and to make sure they wouldn't be destroyed through time like so many books and writings that would come and go. And the Bible is, is still most printed than any book in the whole world. Those words would always be there. And they would be read in churches. They would be read in families. 
They would be read in private. They would be preached. They would be taught in classrooms from generation to generation to generation. And as those words are taught to every generation anew as they grow up, the call of God comes, as 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14 talks about, that God would call people through His Word to be part of that kingdom and to be part of this group of His followers to honor Jesus Christ and live for Him. Notice it here in 2 Thessalonians 2.14. Paul says, It was for this He called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God calls us to follow Him in a personal way through His gospel. That as that word is taught, every generation will be met with the challenge to see who Jesus is and to give our lives to Him. So God will make sure. How can you be so confident, Lord, that the church is not just going to disappear, that, that a new group will rise up and not care about it? My word's going to be there. And my powerful word that always changes lives and always changes eternities will be right there however long this earth lasts. Second thing God would do, God would make sure that each generation would have His spiritual practices given to them. The spiritual practices that God put in place. God, who knows all things, can look from all eternity and know the things that really build faith in us. He can also know the things that don't. And sometimes we, we play religious games, I feel like, in our world, and we forget that God really does know what, what helps us be strong in faith. And if we'll just go to the Word He gave us and just do those things that He's asked His church to do, it will build faith in us, and it will keep us strong and keep us growing in life. I think this is missed sometimes, so let me put a couple of these verses up. There's others. But a couple of these verses that I think make clear in Scripture that those God-given spiritual practices that were taught by Jesus and His apostles to the church were not supposed to change. They were supposed to be done forever and ever in God's church. Notice what Paul says here. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. The us there is the apostles. And so tradition itself can be good or could be bad, could be neutral. But here he says there are some traditions that were not supposed to be changed. He says, hold the traditions which the apostles taught, which we've taught you, Paul says. Whether we wrote it, whether we spoke it, I want those traditions to be continued forever and ever. In Churches of Christ, we, we try to take that seriously. We try to take seriously the idea that God really gave His church what He wanted us to do. And let's try to, let's do that. Let's not think we can improve upon it. Let's not think we're smarter than God. Let's not make up our own man-made stuff. Let's keep the traditions that we're supposed to build faith forever. One more verse that points that out. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Where Paul says, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, he says to the Philippian church, things you've seen in me as an apostle, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So again, the apostles said, that theme runs throughout the letters, and even into the Gospels and Acts. It runs throughout the New Testament, that we are supposed to continue doing the things that they did. And so when you stop and think about it, at least when I stop and think about it, it's awe-inspiring to me 
that we still do the things Jesus did and taught, and we still do the things the apostles did and taught, inspired by God, whenever someone is baptized into Christ, just to think that, that Jesus did that. And He taught people to do that. And He told us to teach people to do that. And the apostles did that and taught people. When we gather on a Sunday morning and take the Lord's Supper, Jesus started that. He said He wanted His church to do it every first day of the week, as we see in the example of the apostles. When we sing together, when our words come together to honor God and help encourage each other, the apostles started that tradition, a God-given tradition that was supposed to be continued. When we pray, when we just go privately to our rooms and pray, or pray together, we are building these simple but powerful spiritual practices in our life. How, how God, could you be so confident that people would have faith in thousands of years even after Jesus has come, because I've given them the things that I want my church to do to keep the faith strong. Those spiritual practices would always be there. Number three, this one's a little little trickier, but maybe at least just as important. Maybe it's a bigger challenge to us. Each generation would have people of committed faith. For God to be able to make promises like, the church will never disappear. He had to be able to look over the centuries and see that in every generation, someone or multiple someones would take that word seriously enough and those spiritual practices seriously enough to really become people of strong faith. And, and as they would be baptized in Christ, and as they would become worshipers of God, as they would become people who really live it out in their life, that, that the church would be there in them, in that time and place. People of committed faith. God would guide that. He's always guided that. Think about Esther. Esther chapter 4, verse 14. If you haven't read the book of Esther, I'd encourage you to do that. Do it this afternoon. Go home and read the book of Esther. What's so incredible about Esther, one of several things, is she finds herself in the right place at the right time to step forward in faith, and she does it. Her time had come. And that's what this verse is all about. As Mordecai, her uncle, is trying to explain how, how, how troublesome the situation is and how we need you at this moment. And in the verse that has become best known in the whole book, he says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Now, wait a second. If you... Again, if you know the story, this was a time when the Jews were being threatened, God's people. And someone wanted to kill all of them. They even set up a day where the, where the nation would kill all of the Jews. He says, now if you don't step forward, what's God going to do? God's going to keep His promises. And he, he knows providentially He'll find someone to step forward and lead and make sure His promises are kept. So God can provide relief and deliverance from somewhere else and from another place but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. This is your time, Esther. People of faith, Moses, Joshua, those who have come before, they're not with us anymore. But Esther, you, you are in the place to step forward in faith. Maybe God has put you here and now to be the person who steps forward right now. That's something we always need to hear. 
that maybe God has put us in the position we're in right now, the time, the place, the circumstances, to be the people that step forward right here and now to be who God wants us to be. Esther might have thought, I wish someone else would do it. I wish Moses were still here to step forward. I wish Joshua were still here to step forward. Sometimes we might wish the same thing. You might think back to when you were growing up to, to a preacher you, you looked up to who has passed on to, to his reward. You might think, well, I wish, I wish he was here to be the leader in the church that we need. Or you might, might have seen an older couple as you grew up who was so strong in faith and was so active in doing things, who's passed on to their reward, or maybe their health is, is at a place that they can't be as active as they used to be. And you might wish, I wish they were here to step forward and lead. We need them to lead. At some point... We, we think about those things and realize, I'm the one now. We're the ones now who God looks at for this generation and says, I need you to step forward in faith. It's your time to be the people God wants you to be. Acts 13 says something I think that challenges us in the same direction, challenges me in the same direction. He's talking here about uh, David here in Acts 13. And as Paul preaches, he says, David after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his brothers. He served the purpose of God in his own generation. And then he passed on. That's all we can do. That's all we can do is serve the purpose of God. What, what, is, what is God's purpose for us in this generation? To be the committed Christians who keep that church strong, keep the faith strong, keep reaching out to the world. That's who God wants us to be. Heard a quote this week, and I, I have not read it, but someone was quoting C.S. Lewis. And he said that C.S. Lewis wrote in one of his many writings, he said, if Christianity is not true, then it is of no importance. If it is true, it is of infinite importance. I think we'd agree with that. But then he adds this, what it cannot be is of moderate importance. And as C.S. Lewis was so good at, you think about that and, and you realize there's, there's something true about that. If Christianity isn't true, if Jesus didn't really come, if he didn't really rise from the dead, if there's not really an eternity, what are we doing? Let's go do something else. If it is true, it is of infinite importance. There is nothing more important than to pour our lives into it. What it cannot be is of moderate importance, something that's sort of important. And too often, too often we have times in our life where we try to make Christianity of moderate importance. God needs us for our generation to be the people who step forward and make it of infinite importance like it was always meant to be. To have the type of strong faith built in us that was seen of the people of faith in the past. Who's to say that our generation can't have more strong people of faith than there have ever been before? That's our decision. With the help of God... Let's be those committed people of faith. God, how can you say that the, it's, the church is never going to pass away? Because I can see there's going to be people who see my word and believe it and see the spiritual practices in it and practice them, and they're going to be strong people of faith who lead the church. Number four, God knew each generation would have His presence and His strength right there alongside them. I imagine every generation has looked up and thought the task was too big. 
There's too many people that don't believe. There's too many critics. There's too many challenges in life. There's too many ways we even fail ourselves. There's too many imperfections even in the church. I'm sure every generation has thought, the task is just too big for us. That probably started with the apostles when Jesus looked at them in Matthew chapter 28 and said, I want you to go to the whole world. Take the gospel to the whole world. And they must have thought, how do you expect us to do that? We don't know what we're doing half the time. And there's only a few of us. And yet Jesus sees what they could be, but don't miss how Jesus knew they would do it. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. How do you do that? You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Don't miss the way the book ends. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The task is too big for us. Being strong people of faith in the midst of all the challenges of life and all the temptations of Satan, it is too big for us. You don't have to do it by yourself. Never have had to. I hope you haven't tried to do it by yourself. If you have, change that. But God says, I'm going to be with you. Jesus says, I'll always be with my people. I'll always be there. Ephesians 3.16 says something similar. Paul is praying for the Christians here in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, I pray that God would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened in the inner man. Don't forget, part of that blessing and baptism, that you, you're... You repent, you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So we have forgiveness when we're baptized. He says you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In some way, God lives in us. And Christians have honest sometimes disagreements on how exactly that works and how exactly that happens. But I think it's unmistakable that in some way, God is living in the Christian as we rise from the waters of baptism. And there's a strength that's given there that the Spirit works in conjunction with the Word that the Spirit gave to strengthen us to give us the strength for the task, whatever, whatever the temptation is in the moment, whatever the difficulty is of the moment, that God gives His people the strength to keep going. God, how can you be so sure that as years roll by, the church is still going to be there because I'm going to be there with them and I'm going to give them my strength to keep going? I love that idea that God knew from generation to generation His church would last and shine His light I realize, like you do, there's been a lot of times that hasn't happened the way it should have. There's been a lot of times that people have professed Christianity but haven't looked very much like Jesus Christ or the faith He wanted us to live. That's true today, just like it always has been. There have always been churches that have called themselves churches that haven't looked much like the churches God wanted His people to have. That's true today, just like it always has been. I wish I could say you and I can change all of that. All we can do is do it right for ourselves. All we can do is try to do it right here in our church family. To try to make sure we are the people, like we've talked about today, who hold up the Word of God. Who make sure it is taught and lived and changing us. Who practice those God-given spiritual practices. The things that God knew would build faith, that cannot be improved on, that should never be changed. To make sure we're doing those things. To make sure we're the committed people of faith who step forward and say, this is my time to lead and my time to live for God, and I'm only here a short time, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And to make sure we remember that God is with us and it is His strength that leads us to go forward. I want to end with that thought we saw about David. He said, David served the purpose of God in his own generation. I pray you and I will do the same. That we will serve 
the purpose of God in our generation, in living it and passing it on, and hopefully letting the world see Christ living in us. Let's pray together as we close. God, thank you so much for your wisdom in knowing that there needed to be a church, there needed to be your people here on this earth to point people to what is right and what is real and to give people the most important message of all that you have made a way of salvation for us in this life and in eternity. God, we pray you help to keep your church strong, to fulfill those promises that there will always be for every generation a strong church in your world. And God, we pray you'll use us in this time and this place to be those people here, to be everyone that, so that everyone we come in contact with will see you living in us. And God, help us in the ways that we've fallen short. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to live the lives you want us to live. And we pray your church will grow through your strength and your guidance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're not a follower of Christ, we really encourage you to think deeply about making that decision, best decision of your life. We put up here every week a, a good summary of what the Bible says about how you become a Christian. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Every step is important, and every step is Christ-centered. You hear about Christ, you believe in Christ, you turn your life to live for Christ, you confess your faith in Christ, and you're baptized into Christ. It all starts and ends with Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, if you'd like to talk more about how that happens, what the commitment is, please talk to us. We'd love to sit down with you and look at the Bible together and let you make your own decision between you and God about giving your life to the Lord. Or if we can pray for you about sin in your life or anything that's holding you back between having the relationship with God you want to have, please let us pray for you. Let us know privately afterwards so we can help you in any way that we can. We appreciate you worshiping with us today. We're going to have a closing song and then a closing prayer. You see our ushers are opening the back doors. After our closing prayer, we're going to be dismissed by Rose from the back. We appreciate you making time to worship God with us today.